0: So, we are in Acts chapter 20. Um, we're going to deal with quite a number of verses. This is, you know, when you look at Acts chapter 17, you look at what Paul preaches there in, in, uh, to the Arapagus uh, on Mars Hill. It's an incredible section of text. Uh, when Paul opens his mouth, there's just powerful stuff coming out. And what we have tonight is we have a, we have a conversation that Paul has with uh, the elders of Ephesus from the church in Ephesus on the beach in Miletus. And that's basically his prophetic last words to them. He would never see them again. And it's really, it's quite emotional when you read what he says to these guys. Um, I had a situation like that when we immigrated from South Africa. I preached at the church there. And I I said to the church as well, it feels like that to me. Here I am and it might be the last time that I'm going to see some of you guys. I might never see you again. And what do you say to people if it's the last time that you might not see them? And so I think that's what makes Paul's uh, sermon here tonight um, quite powerful. Just to remind you, last week we were in Troas. In Troas, we we saw the greatest Lord's Supper talk ever, right? Preached till 12 o'clock, then somebody died, got resurrected in the middle of it, went back to the Lord's Supper and preached till morning. So, don't know who's doing Lord's Supper next week. You've got your work cut out for you. Very powerful text. Now, we find ourselves in verse 13... Let's see what happens next. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. Um, He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. I I'll, I'll I think what, what's happening here with Paul is, he says, I don't want to stop over in Ephesus. Ephesus was the main city of Asia, as we've discovered the last few weeks. A powerful ministry that came from there, to the extent that everybody in Asia had heard the gospel. So, So, so I think the church was just thriving there, powerful ministry, powerful work going on. Paul said, I'm going to skip Ephesus. It sometimes feels like me uh, in the mornings when I'm in my office and I hear everybody's inside here and I need to get to the kitchen quickly. I go through the youth room because I know if I get through here, I'm going to have 16 conversations. And by the time I get to the kitchen, I've forgotten why I've actually gone there. Maybe Paul's got the same thought here. Look, I'm not going to stop in Ephesus. I'm going to go past. I'll go to Miletus. Okay. and, And because I don't want to get stuck here too long because I've got a journey. I want to get to Jerusalem. Right, I want I want to get there. I think he walks for uh, let's just let's just look at the map quickly. So we were in Troas, and then they sail all the way down to Miletus. Okay, this is Paul's third and final missionary journey. He's on his way back to Jerusalem, and so they stop over there at Miletus. Just so you want to have a little bit more of a close up. There's Ephesus. There's Miletus. So he skips Ephesus and he he, he stops over in Miletus. The question that came to my mind is, why did he walk um, in, in the beginning? Why did he take some time after the experience at Troas? Well, remember at Troas, it, it seems like the whole house was, was packed with people. And Paul's been preaching the whole night through. And Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. So maybe that's in his mind. Maybe he just wanted to, to spend a little bit of time more with the disciples. Or he just wanted a little bit of a break. I think if I preached all night through and just raised somebody from the dead, I'd probably also be a little bit tired, right? And so Jesus did that as well. We see him often being with a large group of people. He's teaching and preaching, and then he just disappears. He goes and his disciples, they don't even know where he is. And as we serve God, sometimes we just need that break. And so he takes that break. I, I think that's, that's what he did. And, and, and maybe, maybe on that little walk that he has, he prepares himself for meeting these elders in Ephesus. Knowing that this is, the, this is a big deal for him. He's experiencing tremendous persecution in Ephesus. He's, he's experienced persecution from the Jews in places like Thessalonica. This whole journey has been intense. And as he grows, his, um, his reputation goes all over the world. Right? We've read that. And now he's going to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. Where you have the largest concentration of Jews in one place during the year. Uh, you can imagine what's going on in his mind. But he wants to go. He wants to go to, the, to that place. So the text then continues to say, um, from, um, sorry, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. So he doesn't go to Ephesus, he's in Miletus, but he says he calls for the elders. So he probably sent a messenger just to go say to the elders of the church, hey, won't you, won't you come? And the Greek word used there for elder is presbyteros. And a presbyteros is a person that is advanced in life. It's an older person. That's really what it means. More experienced, a senior. But in verse 28, we're going to get to those texts in just a moment's time. He calls these same guys episkopos. The same guys, older, senior. He calls them episkopos, which is overseer, guardian, or superintendent. And he tells them that they are to poimano. Poimano, the church, which means shepherd, feed, tend, to flock, to tend the flock, right? To take care of the sheep. That's what a shepherd does. So three different words, and it's the same word that is used in, for example, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 that refers to the, um, the poimen, the poimen, the shepherd, the pastor. And this is one of the things that the reasons why I don't call myself a pastor Because a pastor is all of these words that I've just used. You're a shepherd. You are a presbyteros. You are an episkopos. You're an older person. You shepherd the flock. And you are an overseer. And Paul tells us in Timothy and Titus what the qualifications are of those individuals. It's the same office. Same thing. And there has to be more than one. There's a plurality. Paul calls the elders of the church. They don't have a single pastor. They had elders, plurality, all right? So all of that refers to the same office in the church. There were leaders set up in the church in Ephesus, and they were elders. What is interesting is that this church is probably about seven years old, seven years old, more or less. This is about 80, 60. The first time that Paul set his feet there and he started teaching was about eighty fifty three fifty two. 52. So... Oh, 53, 55, sorry. So this is about seven years old, and, and there's already elders in the church. And so Paul did, a, did an incredible job to make sure that the leadership was in place in this, in this church. And so he wants, to, he wants to meet with them. All right, now what does he say to them? They arrive on the beach. What does he say to them? When they arrived, he said to them, You, and, and I just, I want you to think about these words. And this, He says to them, you know. How I lived the whole time I was with you. I mean, if you go, if you go to your wife now and you say, "You know how I've been living with you," what would she say? Or, or, or your husband? Or, or Zach? I, I mean, at, at this point, Maddie has got an idea, like how you've been living with her, right? And vice versa. It's like these are deep words. These are. These are. Uh, Paul is not shy to say this. He's not ashamed of the way that he's been living. Right? He said, you know the, how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, you know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul is saying... You know me. You know me. And you know what I have done. It reminded me of this text that Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And so Paul is saying, listen, you can trust what I am saying. You can trust what I've said because you know how I lived. My life is an example to you. It's like Paul is saying, let my life be the foundation of the trustworthiness of what I have taught you. If in any way you're struggling with what I'm saying, just go look at my life. And maybe that will give you a little bit of a boost to trust what I said. And I just put this point in there. We've got to be careful. Don't don't just follow what people say. Look first at what they do. Look at what they do. And then, I think there's a few characteristics that is in Paul's life. And as I read through this this afternoon, I thought about a quote that I came across. Be more concerned with character than reputation. Character is what you are. Reputation is what people think you are. Paul's got good character here. Paul goes beyond reputation here. Re- reputation is important, but but... His consistency throughout their experience with him shows that he's got good character. So there's a few things that came to my mind which I think these are good characteristics that you and I need to have as well. The first thing that comes to my mind is consistency. He talks about the first time he came into Asia and where he is now. You've known me for seven years, right? I'm the same person today as I was seven years ago. I preach the same thing I live the same way. I am not yes now and no later. I was yes then and I'm yes today. It was Jesus then, it is Jesus today. My love and my loyalty has always been at the same place. Consistency. I I don't get swayed by every wind of teaching. I stay the same guy. And you know that. Consistency is incredible, ladies and gentlemen. We need to stay consistent. Secondly, humility. Humility no Is the word he uses. Which literally means that he had a humble opinion of himself. I wouldn't be so humble if I was Paul. I think he's an incredible person. Incredible. Look at everything he's done. Sometimes when you read his letters you think, this guy's pretty arrogant. But he actually isn't. He isn't. He's a very humble person. He's modest. He's humble. And it also means lowliness of mind. He had a low... Um, Also, I want to just stress this. Humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's not having a low self-esteem. It's just thinking less of yourself. Thinking more of others than yourself. And that's what Paul is here. He's really concerned about these people. He's concerned about all the lost people across the world. There's another thing, passion. Paul is passionate. The text says that he had many what? He is. This is a man that cried about God's things. Why, why do people cry? If you're passionate about something, you'll cry about it. Especially in the face of adversity. Paul put his heart into ministry. And then there's boldness. Boldness. People hated Paul. You don't want to be Paul, man. You're the guys that hated him. Eh? They wanted this guy dead. His life was always in danger, but he never stopped preaching, and he never stopped teaching the things of Christ. The text says, he says, I did this publicly and privately. If I was Paul, I'd be like, hey, dude, let's go meet in the house tonight. Let's go talk in the house where nobody else can hear us, because these cats, they want to kill me. Paul's like, no, I'll go in public and talk about Jesus, even if they kill me. I don't care. So that's boldness. He never hesitated, and he never kept anything back. He was never scared to talk about Jesus. And then his message was clear. He had a clear message. He preached repentance and faith to both Jew and Gentile. The same message to all of them. To all people. He did not say one thing to one group and another thing to another group. He he spoke the same thing. His message was always consistent. Feels like I've spoken for an hour now. Everybody awake. You want to add something, subtract something. Everybody here? Okay. Maddie, are you awake, bro? Don't sleep. If you sleep here, you die. I'm just joking. Hang in there. So yeah, <laughs> It's bold. All right. Let's, let's see what happens. Now the text continues. He continues to talk to them. And now compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, this is, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Yes, I don't know, I want to tear up when I read this. Paul said in another text, he said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. And the, li- the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul understood what it means to be dead to your own life. He says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm probably going to die there, and I don't care because I consider my life worth nothing to me. My life is only worth something if it is in God's hands. My life is only worth something if God can use me for something powerful and deep and much, much more powerful than I could do with my life. It's okay if I go die. And so Paul is saying, well, in verse 25, I haven't even read that. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Goodness gracious. Paul is saying, I know my fate. He starts off by saying, you know me. And now he says, you know my faith. I'm compelled by the Spirit. The Greek word therefore compelled is bound by the Spirit. The Spirit has put me in chains and he's dragging me to Jerusalem. I want to say that the Spirit is dragging him to Jerusalem, but I don't think that's the case. Paul wants to go to Jerusalem because that's where the Spirit wants him to go. And he wants to go anywhere the Spirit wants him to go. But in his flesh, he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to get decapitated. But that's what's waiting for him. Literally. He's going to the Jewish capital of the world. He's going to the heart of the haters. And the spirit is forcing him there. But he also wants to go there. Because he wants to be where God wants him to be. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable it is. The text says that he's going to get some persecution there. Paul says, I don't know exactly what will happen to me in Jerusalem. But the spirit warns me. Of shackles and troubles. That's literally the translation. Shackles and troubles. I'm going to be bound and chained. I don't know about you, but if I know I'm going to be locked up, I run the other way. I don't want chains. The Spirit warns him of prisons and persecutions. Trouble, pain, and opposition, and hatred is probably coming my way. It's interesting what the Spirit does, isn't it? The Spirit compels Paul to go to places... He says, you're going to go to Jerusalem, but then the same Spirit says to him, okay, you're going to go there, but um, you're probably going to get beaten up, but I want you're going to go there. It's interesting. It's interesting how different that is from what we think Christianity is and what Christianity is being preached in churches. Come to Jesus. Let the Spirit live in you so that you can have a great life. Let the Spirit come live in you and guide you to all the nice places in life. Let the Spirit give you financial success. Come Come to Jesus. And he'll make everything neat and comfy and, and fantastic. Big houses, nice cars. That's, that's what the Spirit will give you. I wonder if some of these guys could speak to Paul, what Paul would say. Are you insane? You need to be punched in the head with the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit takes Paul to persecution and prison. it takes Paul into the heart of, the, of these Jews. He goes where the Spirit leads. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable it is for him. And Paul can do this. Why? Because he didn't care about his own life. He didn't care about his own comfort. He was on a mission worthy of death. He was on a noble mission. He had had found something worth dying for. His life meant nothing to him compared to the mission. Paul is saying, I will die for this. Have you found something worth dying for? The Spirit says to him, he's going to have death. Because he says to the elders, what does he say to them? You're probably never going to see me again, man. Probably going to die. Never come around here again. Somehow, Paul knew this was his last meeting with the Ephesian elders. And I think he was satisfied. That is, for me, the epitome of this text. It's like Paul is saying, okay, I'm probably going to die. I'm never going to see you guys again, but... I feel good about the time I spent with you. I feel pretty satisfied. I think that's what he was thinking about when he was walking from Troas to Assos. He was thinking about this whole speech. My life is worth nothing to me because I don't live for me. My life is only worth something to God and this gospel of God's grace. I'm passing on the baton. I have preached everything I know. I've handed it over to you. I didn't leave anything out. You can never say I didn't warn you. You can never say I didn't teach you everything that I knew because I did. The ball is now in your court. I wash my hands. God will not keep me accountable for what you do from here on forward. Because I've poured myself out. Remember that's the purpose of preaching, right? The purpose of it. And and this is something I love. My goal as a mouthpiece for God is to empty myself. Your job is to fill yourself. Paul is saying, I've emptied myself. I've poured myself out into you. Now it's up to you. You need to take that and live it. Because my responsibility is done. Let's read what he says further. What's next? He said, keep watch over yourselves. And all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Here comes the words. Overseer. Episcopos. Be shepherd of the church, poimano, shepherd, pastor, that's the word pastor. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. She's precious, right? I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. What Paul is saying to them is, I know your fate. You know me, I know my fate, and I know your fate. He says to them two things. He says, savage wolves will ravage the flock. Cunning people will come with false doctrines, which in turn will hurt the church, split the church, destroy the church. People will come and do exactly the opposite of what it is that you are called to do. We spoke about it this morning. That's exactly what happened. Later on, about 40 years after this, that was one of the biggest problems in Ephesus. False teaching, Gnosticism, Docetism. That's what 1 John is about. The, the, the elder John, the apostle John, has to deal with the false teachers in Ephesus and the surrounding areas in Asia. Paul was right on. The church in Ephesus eventually died. When the book of Revelation talks about Ephesus having lost their first love, they, it seems like there's still a church that sort of take on the false teachers, but eventually the church there died. And so Paul was very accurate in his, in his prophecy here. So you guys need to watch there's some false teachings going to come in. And these false teachings was about what? It was about Jesus Christ, whether he was truly God incarnate. So savage wolves will ravage the flock, and some of you will turn into wolves. That must have been hard to hear. Some, men of your own number is going to become wolves. That's crazy. Some of you are going to be Judas's. That's hard. Some of you will develop your own doctrine. And you will draw disciples after yourself. That's what he says. You're going to have people to follow you. This, by the way, lies at the heart of all denominationalism. If you go look at why there's so many different churches, it all goes back to one thing. One clever guy who stands up and develops a strong leadership ability or some thought or something new and gets a bunch of people to follow him. And before you know it, you have Lutheranism, and you have Calvinism, and all of the isms that there's out there. And if if there isn't an ism, then it's some other name. But all of it was started by some person. Now, for example, even the restoration movement that we are a part of. I honor God for the restoration movement. God worked in these men, Thomas and Alexander Campbell. And did great work through them and many people came to save through, came to, to 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 salvation through this movement. But I grew up in this in, in this in this in the restoration movement and in the same way that some of the the denominations sort of follow their founders, some people in the restoration movement are also just following their founders. That's why sometimes they're called Campbellites. We follow Campbell. I, I submit you tonight. I'm not a follower of Campbell. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's it. No human. Thank you, Campbell. We might have learned some things from you, and there's some cool things, and I thank you for that, but you're not perfect. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's exactly the same thing. Paul warned the Corinthians about following leaders. Some follow Cephas. You don't even follow the apostles. All right? That's exactly what was going to happen here in the church in Ephesus, and we've got to be careful of this. We never follow Any man, we only follow Jesus Christ. We make disciples of Christ, not disciples of Campbell or Calvin or Luther. We make disciples of Christ. So Paul is warning them here about that. So he says, watch. Keep awake. Watch over others. But then he says, but watch over yourselves. Did you pick that up in the text? Watch over yourself. You can be so busy watching others. That you forget about yourself. Watch about your own errors. And your own temptations. He says to them. For three years. I kept my eyes open. I've been watching the flock. For three years. For three years I watched. And I guarded the flock. And for three years I reminded you. Of the will of God. But I'm leaving now, so you've got to do it. The apostle's leaving, so you've got to take over now. And we've got to do the same thing with the church. We cannot fall asleep on the church. How dare we see things are going pear-shaped, for example, in our church, and we do nothing about it. How dare we? These people have been bought by the blood of Christ. We have responsibility, just like these elders. All right. Now I commit you to God. And to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I now hand you over to God. I have done what I can. Like a parent sends a child to college. Or like a dad hands his daughter over in marriage. So Paul now hands over these elders to God. I'm trusting God with you. Totally. Totally. And I leave with you the message of grace, and this message of grace will build you up and give you eternal life an inheritance among the saved. And then he says, I have not coveted anyone's silver, it gets personal again, or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What an incredible man. The legacy I leave with you is something that Jesus taught me. That's what Paul is saying. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul isn't a theoretical teacher. I hope you pick it up in this text. He's not theoretical. He's practical. He says, Jesus said this, that's what he said. Now let's look at how I lived among you. I gave more than I took. I worked night and day so I could serve. I didn't serve, I wasn't among you because I wanted something. I didn't want to take something. No, look at my life. I lived what Jesus said. I don't just teach things, I live it as well. Thank you, Paul, for that example. This is one of the most damning pieces of text for prosperity preachers. Because Paul said, when I came to you, I, I didn't want your gold or your silver, man. I, did, I wasn't off your money. In actual fact, I made sure that's not an issue. I worked hard day and night to provide for myself. And I think the text also there says he provided for his fellow laborers. Paul was not only successful in preaching the gospel. He must have had a super powerful tent making business. To provide for his companions as well. Of course, he didn't have a wife. Because, you know. If he had a wife, it would have been a different story. I'm joking. <laughs> My wife's right there. I'm, 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 I watch her. I watch her. <laughs> Hopefully, he just had a bunch of single men. You know, they just can eat canned beans and stuff. You know, but. Um, <laughs> So, so in any case, so Paul did well. He's not after the gold and silver. He worked for his own needs and for the needs of his companions. And he reminds the elders to do the same. He says, work so hard that you can provide for the weak. It is a blessing to be able to give. So be generous. And then lastly, when Paul had finished speaking, perhaps one of the most emotional scenes in the Bible, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. I think these words speak for themselves. But this is real Christian love. And if you were here yesterday, you will know what this means me this is a beautiful example of philus torgos deep connection and love between people that are not even family members but they treat each other as if they are they fell on Paul's neck and they kissed him so thoughts I've got one two three four I've got five thoughts just to give us a summary of things that came to my mind. If you have something, I'll give you an opportunity to share that with us. Just five things. A quote by Henry Ford, you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. And the idea is just here is stop talking. Just do it. Paul spent all his time building a reputation. That wasn't his goal, but his his life built a good reputation. Paul wasn't just talk. He did it. And he, he was confident enough to tell these guys, you know exactly how I live. How confident are you to tell the people closest to you, you know exactly how I, lived and I'm not ashamed, how I live and I'm not ashamed of it. Secondly, you can only wash your hands after you have used them up. What I mo- mean by that is, is that Paul did everything in his power to teach these guys. That is why he could wash his hands. There's nothing more he could do. That's why he washes his hands. We cannot wash our hands in regard to the spiritual welfare of our friends and family members until we have done everything we can to lead them to Christ. So Paul is sort of putting us in a, in a, in a tough spot tonight. He's really making us question, what have we done? Have we hesitated to, to speak to people the whole truth of God? Have we told people the whole counsel of God? Or at least sought that opportunity. Most people don't give us the opportunity. But if the opportunity was there, have we ignored it or, or not? Have we tried? Have we prayed? Thirdly, the Holy Spirit leads us to peace, that's true, but often leads us to persecution and pain. We've been studying that so wonderfully with Brother Dave on, on Wednesday nights. And, and and the assumption is that if I go through a difficult time or I suffer, then God is disciplining me. Not necessarily. The Spirit sometimes takes us through very difficult situations for His will. A bad time is not necessarily a bad situation. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have been bad, right? It simply means God wants to shape you and use you for something bigger. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be without food. The Spirit doesn't always lead us to a sofa watching a Netflix movie. Fourthly, we should be passionate in the preservation and protection of the church. Paul cried over the church. And when I say the word church, I hope you know by now what I mean. I'm not talking about the institution. I'm talking about the people. The ones going to heaven. We've got to be invested in the people. We should be on the lookout for them. Not be asleep. So we can thwart away any attacks of the evil one. And then lastly... Find a way to give and you will receive. I think sometimes we are so focused on wanting to receive something, but there's something very unique that happens when we just focus on giving. We receive something far bigger and more powerful back. And I can't put that into words. Maybe it's just gratitude. It's just that feeling that you get when you do something that's good and right for somebody else. So if we focus on finding ways to bless and give... What we get back cannot be measured. Thoughts from me? Anybody else would like to share any thoughts or thoughts?